So the title of this is Rediscovering the Quaker Discovery. So I was just curious. I looked up the other day the top 25 discoveries of all time. They included, among other things, penicillin, the clock, gravity, which I think was kind of self-evident, but eventually, pasteurization, electricity, DNA, air conditioning, which I'm very thankful for, the telegraph, the periodic table. At number two was liquid crystals, which I had to look up why am I thankful for liquid crystals, and I realized it's because I have a computer and I have a TV, among other things. And number one was the polio vaccine. So I'm sure you could Google your own list and come up with another list of top 25 things that have been discovered. But it led me to think about discoveries, how they can be revolutionary. Historical life change in this defining moment in history of someone's life. This discovery of a new planet, new worlds, discovery of a new cure, discovery of new technology, this discovery of a new way of understanding, discovery of a creative solution. But even in those life-altering discoveries, sometimes they become so normalized that we lose the memory of what it was like prior to that discovery, how revolutionary it was. So we can't imagine a world right now without technology, smartphones, computers, iPads, and, and even certain, even though we probably would love to have that world, we can't imagine because it's just such a normal part of our everyday world. So we forget how revolutionary these discoveries were. I remember our first colored TV as a kid. We lived in Marion, Indiana. It was in 1976, and we had just moved there to First Friends, and a member who worked at RCA there in Marion gifted one to our family. And up to that time, all we ever had was good old black and white TV. So everything that we watched was in black and white. I remember that Wednesday night we got the TV. Mom and Dad were headed over to Bible study. They were headed over to choir practice. The church sat right beside our house. And all I wanted to do was watch Hawaii Five O. I wanted to see what that first scene looked like in color. I'm easily pleased. You really, I am. I wanted to see the water. I wanted to see what this looked like. And I got to tell you, I am still as impressed now as I was back then. It was amazing. Now, you go around our house, and we probably have at least one or two, or if not, maybe three colored TVs. So the point is, back then, it was just amazing. Now, colored TVs are just kind of disposable. One goes out, you just take it somewhere, and you go and you get another one because it costs less to buy one than it does to have it repaired. It's not as revolutionary anymore. Now, early friends, early Quakers made a discovery, and it was this discovery that was life-changing. It was discovery that was transforming. It, it altered their trajectory in the world, and in many ways has altered the trajectory of life and history in this world. So we go back to the 1650s and 1660s. Religion, for the most part, had become cold, had become lifeless, it had become corrupted. It was very hierarchical and priestly. In other words, the priests were often seen as that mediator between God and people. If you wanted to listen to God, if you wanted to hear from God, it was the priest who told you not only what God said, but for the most part, this is how you understand the scripture. This is what the scripture says. And for his part, George Fox, who is the founder of Quakers, and just a little bit of side note, George Fox was so, so determined, and many Quakers in later years, that this movement would not be built around a person. It was never called the Foxites, and aren't we glad? 
It was never called the Georgites, and aren't we glad? It was called Friends, the religious society of friends, which comes from John chapter 15. You are my friends if you do what I command you. The the Quaker piece came in kind of as a derogatory uh, or kind of as as a a nickname when, when early friends were known in worship to shake so much with the power of the Spirit, literally just shake and tremble when, when they were showing up in front of a judge one day in, in, in the 1600s, uh, the judge looked at them and says, you're those people that quake. You're those Quakers. So we see it as kind of a quaint term, but back then it was this term that was, that was connected with this power of the spirit that just enveloped their life. And so George Fox became disillusioned with this experience of people professing to have faith, but not showing up in their life or actions. He became disillusioned with a worship that had plenty of ceremony, had plenty of ritual, but it liked the life and power and personal presence of the living God. He became so disillusioned in a church that was more interested in personal and political power rather than the power of God and the kingdom of God. So in his early 20s, George Fox, late teens, early 20s, he sets out on this journey, a a literal physical journey and a spiritual one to discover what is most real in the spiritual life to get past all of the ritual, to get past all of that to the reality, to get past what they often call the profession of faith, discover the power of God. And probably at his lowest point, his ultimate lowest point of disillusionment, when he had talked to church leaders, he had talked to priests, he had talked to pastors, he had talked about anybody who had listened to him or anybody who wouldn't listen to him, he writes this in his journal, the journal of George Fox, quote, And when all of my hopes in them, meaning preachers, and all in men were gone, I had nothing outwardly to help me, nor could tell what to do. Then I heard a voice. I heard a voice say, there is one, even Christ Jesus, that can speak to my condition. And when I heard it, my heart did leap for joy. By the way, I will say this, one of the distinguishing characteristics of spiritual awakening is that of joy. Fox's heart leaped or leapt for joy, leaped for joy. We are told in the scriptures that joy is part of who we are when we have come alive in Christ. And Fox goes on to write, And then the Lord let me see why there was none upon the earth that could speak to my condition, namely, that I might give him the glory. And then he writes, And this I knew experimentally, or in today's language, I knew experientially. In other words, Fox said, I discovered, I experienced it myself deep inside the very depths of my being. I heard a wonderful phrase last week. A friend of mine was talking about another friend of mine who is a pastor and, and doesn't always necessarily uh, carry a Bible with him. He, he preaches and he uses scripture, but he doesn't carry it with him. And she says, but what I have found out is that scripture lives in the very tissue of his being. And I thought that was such a wonderful phrase. That it lives in the very tissue of his being, that it, 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 it's part of who he is. And for Fox, what he was saying was, Our experience needs to be so real, it is part of who we are. We experience it personally. And so this is the Quaker discovery, 
that the living Christ can be experienced personally and directly and without a mediator. And the living Christ can speak to our condition, whatever those conditions may be. Now, I think that's key. Because I think there is a personal condition, there is conditions in our world, and there is conditions even in our meeting. Personal condition. Or the human condition, as I like to call it, is one that is broken, one that is in need of being made whole. Christ can speak to that condition. Our condition may be one of grief, it may be one of self-rejection, it may be one of fear and anxiousness, it may be one of confusion or disillusionment, it may be one of restlessness, it may be one that lacks a sense of purpose or meaning. What I do find is that the universal condition, though, is one in which we want and need to know we are loved. And what Fox says is that Christ speaks to all of these conditions. Yesterday, uh, I joined good folks from Deep River here. A few of them are here this morning to serve at Open Door Shelter. And if you've ever been there before, again, you know, Linda loves to speak to the folks when they come in. And what she says to them always, and, and I can hear it in my head all the time, she'll say to them, if you haven't heard it yet today, let me be the first one to tell you, I love you. And for the most part, they all respond back with an I love you too. And then she had me speak, and she always has me say a few words when I'm there and then offer prayer. And when I, when I got in front of the folks, I just felt compelled to say this. I said, you know what? We're going to feed you today. We've got a great meal for you. We've got chicken casserole. We've got green beans. We've got, we got corn. We've got cookies. We've got rolls. But there's a hunger in all of us that goes deeper than food. And I said, and that hunger can be met by Christ. And that hunger is to be loved. And that hunger is to be valued. And that hunger is to know that you are worth something and that you have dignity. I said, so you get your physical hunger fed this morning. That's great. But I want to tell you that when you leave this room, you leave with your head held high because God values you. And then I prayed and then I turned around. Now, Linda comes from a much different experience than I do spirituality because she was just over there kind of patting her heart like this and she goes oh my I heard a word I heard a word so as I started going back into the kitchen she says how many of you here heard a word this morning and she said raise your hands and I didn't look and she stopped me she says she says pastor she calls me pastor she says turn around I want you to look at this she says how many of you here this morning heard a word And she says, raise your hand. At least three quarters of that room raised their hand. It had nothing to do with my message. What it had to do with the word that they heard was they're valued. They're loved. How many of these folks do you think get a sideways look or rejection while standing in the middle of a median? How many of them do we think probably get a sideways glance or a turned up nose as they're walking in front of our car or in front of a store. All they feel is if they're the lowest of low in society. But that's the human condition. I can tell you right now, it's not just folks eating the lunch there. It is everybody. Everybody in this world needs that sense that they are loved. That is the human condition. You have the world's condition. That's why Quakers are called, that's why Quakers have what are called the testimonies, simplicity, peace, integrity, community, equality, and stewardship. The fruits of our being rooted in Christ. To a cluttered and complex world, we offer simplicity. 
to a violent and conflicted world, we offer peace. To a duplicitous and inauthentic world, we offer integrity. To this isolated and lonely world, we offer community. And I will tell you this, just a little, little sidebar here. When I ask folks, among things, why do you want to become a member of Deep River Friends Meeting? Almost to a person, among other things, they will say this. We want to be rooted and in community with a group of people. We live in such an individualistic, isolated, fragmented society that people feel like they don't connect with anybody. In a world that doesn't have this connection, we offer community. In a world world where there's pecking orders and inequality, Quakers offer equality. In a world where there's overconsumption and waste, Quakers offer stewardship. That spells out the spices. And we believe the way of Jesus can speak to the condition not only of our lives, but of our world, that the Sermon on the Mount is more than a nice idea, but it's a call on how to live under the gracious rule and governance of God, the kingdom of God. And when we live in this way, it transforms our lives for the better, and then inspires and enables us to transform the world for the better. And I would say this, if you have the world's conditions, you have our own human condition, But even local meetings and faith communities, Deep River has a condition. And you're probably thinking, I didn't know Deep River had a condition. Is it a bad condition? Is it it a serious condition? No, it's just a condition. In other words, faith communities go through seasons. And I discovered, as I've told people, I've been here 15 years now. I start my 16th year, uh, November 1. At least I know so far, but I start my 16th year, November 1. What I tell people is, in the 15 years I've been here, I have pastored three different congregations. And I wouldn't say evenly every five years, but I would say the congregation has grown, it has evolved, it has changed. That's just natural over time. But in each moment, each evolving, each stage, each season, God speaks to that condition. The question I always have for myself is, am I listening to what God is speaking to us in this season, in this place, here and now? Am I listening to what God is speaking to us as we make decisions about money, as we make decisions about programming, or as we make decisions about ministry? Am I listening to how God is leading when we make operational decisions as well as ministry decisions? Am I listening? God even speaks to the conditions of our own faith community. Now, that is the one discovery that Quakers made. I want to give us one more, give you one more. And this discovery is this. Fox also told and wrote in his journal this simple phrase, Christ is here to teach his people himself. Which means this, Christ is here to teach his people himself. That's why I had Dawn read the passage from Galatians that we don't have enough time to get into. But I had her read that because the Apostle Paul talks about that when he came to know the gospel, when he came to know Christ, when he came to know the kingdom of God, read that passage again. His language is, no other person, no human person told me. It was revealed to me. And when it was revealed to me, he says, I went away for about three years. In other words, Paul was saying, this gospel was real to me because it was revealed to me by God. God has taught me. The living Christ has taught me. And what I know is Christ is here to teach his people himself. And I hope that what I say or what anybody ever says as we preach is just the tip of the iceberg. We have a narrow bandwidth of what we know about your conditions, anybody who speaks. But the one who knows your condition is the living Christ. 
knows your condition better than any human person that could speak. The passage in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, reads this way, quote, But you have received the Holy Spirit, and He lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you all things, and what He teaches is true. It is not a lie, so continue in what He has taught you, and continue to live in Christ. That's a very radical statement. You've received the Spirit. He lives in you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. Human teachers are good. Books are good, speakers are good, podcasts are good, but here's the real reality of it all. The best teacher we have already exists within us and around us, and that is Christ, who speaks to our condition. Most of you know uh, Phil Gully. Phil and I have been friends for a long time, and Phil writes books. And every now and then, Phil gets sort of overloaded with uh, with uh, appointments and schedules, and especially in relationship to his writing. And so he called me and said, I've got this invitation to speak in the spring. I can't do it. Could they talk to you? I said, sure. Sure, that'd be fine. Thank you for passing to me all of your, your secondhand speaking engagements, as I told Phil. I'll be glad to cover them for you. And uh, so he gave them my name, and they called me. And it was interesting. They've known Phil for a few years. What do you think the first question was they asked me? Have I written a book? And I said, well, the truth be known, I wrote all of Phil's. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) I said, no, I haven't written a book. And I thought, maybe I should. Maybe this is how this works. But we had a nice conversation, and I could see where they were coming from. They they were hoping to get Phil, and he's got a little bit of higher profile with his books, and that I have a book. Could they highlight that? We need registrations, et cetera. But I think it's all going to work out. But here's the thing. What my takeaway was this. So have we become so reliant on external experts that we no longer trust the inward expert that lives within all of us? What I would say to them is, I haven't written a book. I'll try to write one between now and next time. But what I would say is this. What's more important is when we gather together, will we listen to the Spirit and what the Spirit speaks to us as men and what we need to do and who we need to be and how we need to live. I may not have a book written by them, but I trust the Spirit will do something far greater than what I or Phil could do in a book. Thomas Kelly, I quoted him earlier, writes this, no longer, quote, no longer do we rely upon creeds or priests to be our external guides. The Lord has come to teach His people Himself. No longer do we say that revelation is closed, that heaven has finished her instruction to men and women, that God is absent and Christ is withdrawn. The Lord has come to teach His people Himself. And then he adds this, This was a burning experience to Fox. He had a teacher with him. He found God alive, at work, a living, pulsing, soul-enlarging, holy life within him, guiding and instructing, not in general terms, but in specific terms. Hear that. Not in general terms, but in specific terms. In other words, the Spirit guides us into the smallest details of our life. And for him, uh, excuse me, Thomas Kelly writes, for George Fox, here we have divine guidance particularized for you, for me. And the Quaker discovery includes the fact of immediate guidance possible to be experienced within each one of us. But... Until each one of us can say, the Lord has come to lead his people, and he is leading me, we are merely reading about an interesting historical event 
in the life of Fox. Let me read that one more time, because I need to hear it again. Until each of us can say, the Lord has come to lead his people, and he is leading me. We are merely reading about a very interesting historical event in the life of Fox. What I've come to know is that an interesting historical event is not what the world needs or what the world hungers for right now. An interesting historical event won't transform our lives for the better and inspire us to transform our world for the better. Our world, quite honestly, is not desperate for an interesting historical event. Our world is desperate for men, for women, for youth and for children burning bright with the light of the divine and the light of Christ who have been transformed, who have been made whole by the power of God and are willing to bring that light to the world and show the world a better way, not just by what we preach, but how we live. One last thought. As I was checking my email this morning and scrolling um, social media, One of my Facebook friends, his name is Mark Tidsworth, he's a Methodist pastor in South Carolina, uh, does consulting with churches. He had on his page this big picture that said, love thy neighbor, no exceptions. And I thought, huh, that's a Quaker sign. I recognize that. From Friends Committee for National Legislation. So I wrote underneath that, I said, hey, thank you for giving Quakers a shout out. Did you know this was uh, World Quaker Day? And he didn't. He had actually got it from another friend, but I told him I appreciated it. And then he wrote back to me. This simple phrase, meaning Quakers, you are a light shining for all of us to see. And my question was, are we? Can we? Will we, friends? World Quaker Day could be just another wonderful moment of patting ourselves on the back. Or it could be a defining moment where we begin to say God has something for this world through everyone, but particularly through Quakers? And will we live into our history that it's no longer just something in the past, but it is something in the present, in the now, and for the future?